You're in the water loop. Hi, this is Waterloop host Travis Loop. This episode of Waterloop is part of an ongoing look at water issues through my local lens. I live in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is located on the coast of the Atlantic Ocean and along the Cape Fear River. For a water person like me, this is an incredible place to call home. Not just because of the surfing, paddling, and beach lifestyle, but because there are many water stories to explore. Before starting the conversation, a few reminders. Waterloop is a nonprofit media outlet that depends on a variety of support. That includes you as a listener. If you value Waterloop's content, consider making a contribution through Patreon. Patrons support podcast production, join exclusive Q&A sessions with guests, suggest topics for coverage, get shoutouts, and receive merchandise. Visit patreon.com slash thewaterloop. Waterloop is made possible in part by a grant from Springpoint Partners. We are very grateful for the foundation's vital support. Waterloop is also sponsored by Hydroloop, a company that is revolutionizing gray water recycling in homes and businesses. You're in the Waterloop. Waterloop episode number 127, A Battleship Lives with Water. Wilmington is home to the USS North Carolina, a retired World War II battleship that is open as a museum that draws over 200,000 visitors each year and serves as a memorial to the North Carolinians who died in the war. But now, this special piece of American history, this ship, faces an unlikely challenge, water. That's because high tide flooding, made increasingly frequent by sea level rise, is impacting visitor access to the battleship. The path forward is a living with water approach that will convert flooded parking lots into wetlands, capture stormwater from the remaining parking area, and restore a natural shoreline. This podcast features several guests discussing the Battleship North Carolina project. Captain Terry Bragg, Executive Director of the Battleship North Carolina. Dawn York, Senior Coastal Scientist at Moffat & Nickel. Jenny Davis, Research Ecologist at the NOAA National Ocean Service. And Rami Diaz, Senior Project Designer at Wagner & Ball, an architecture and environment firm based in New Orleans. Captain Bragg talks about the battleship and the importance of access. The USS North Carolina Battleship Memorial is the state of North Carolina's memorial to the 11,000 North Carolinians who served and died, those who made the ultimate sacrifice during the Second World War. We're a top tourist attraction for this half of the state, as well as a center of education. The battleship, as the state's memorial, operates as an enterprise. That means we are 100% receipts funded. We pay our own bills. We get zero appropriations. So visitor access, to buy tickets, store sales, rental events, is how we stay financially successful. So going back to 2015, we saw a very dramatic change in flooding in the Cape Fear River, often called nuisance flooding, as well as a series of hurricanes that have taken our parking lot, our complete access uh, to the battleship underwater. Mm. And uh, as, as highlighted today, 
uh, 60% of the time we now have parking lot flooding. And parking lot flooding means uh, visitors don't have direct access and can't come and be part of our message or support the battleship. But the grounds, and particularly a large section of the parking lot of the battleship North Carolina, are regularly underwater due to what's called sunny day flooding, or blue sky flooding. This occurs when high tides combine with ever-rising sea levels to cause problems. Here are Captain Bragg and Don York, the senior coastal scientist at Moffat and Nickel. So the battleship is located adjacent to the Cape Fear River. Uh, the Cape Fear River is the largest river basin in North Carolina. It's over 9,000 square miles. So there are several major river systems that flow down uh, the river adjacent to this site and then flow into the Atlantic Ocean, which is just several miles downstream. Therefore, we are sort of at the bottom of the estuary, the bottom of the pool, uh, per se, and receive quite a bit of uh, floodwaters all the way up from the Piedmont. So therefore, you know, the battleship is located uh, in a basin on Eagles Island that is a natural, natural estuarine uh, island that is over time has uh, raised sedimentation and geologic features um, that have been predominantly marsh um, and have been impacted by climate change and sea level rise as well as deepening of the Wilmington Harbor, um, which has resulted in higher tidal amplitudes and you know, more uh, floodwaters uh, approaching the battleship and the, the site itself. The, the challenge with uh, flooding uh, is multifaceted. We have the visitor experiences compromised, access to the battleship is compromised. We've had to replace pilings underneath this visitor center. We have many, many more lost work days for ongoing maintenance and construction of the battleship due to weather. So sort of as a practical example of seeing climate change, looking out on the parking lot today, we're not in a hurricane, we're not due to heavy weather. This is just a routine day and you can see that we have lost several bays of parking where the parking lot has been flooded. We've lost two and a half rows of oak trees that are heritage that go back to the 60s, but they've been killed by saltwater intrusion. And you can see the expansiveness from one end of the western edge of the parking lot all the way over to in front of the visitor center. You cannot come on board the ship through the visitor center up the gangway due to the water. The flooding problem at the battleship North Carolina isn't unique. Communities along the East Coast are experiencing a rapid rise in these events as climate change drives sea level rise. Jenny Davis of NOAA explains the trends and threats with blue sky flooding. The term, as the name implies, is often also referred to as sunny day flooding, mm. is minor flooding of the land surface that is associated not with major storms, uh, hurricanes, or nor'easters or things like that, but is simply a function of unusually high tide levels. And these are becoming more and more common as sea levels continue to increase. If you look back in time at the levels of, uh, we know the levels of flooding that, or the levels of water, excuse me, at high tide that will impact the land surface. And if you look at the trends in how often those thresholds are reached over the last 20 years or so, it's increased 
about 400% in the mid-Atlantic and Southeast. So it's a much more common event than it was even 20 years ago. Right? So this is all related to how fast sea levels are rising because as sea level comes up, so, do, so does that high tide level. And so the predictions are for this area that um, if today, let's say you see five high tide flooding events, by 2030, you're, you're going to see two to three times that much on average. That's a national scale prediction. So if you saw five last year, you might see 10 to 15 of those events uh, in 10 years. And, and if you look out even farther, you know, it comes up to even greater levels. So it's definitely something that we're going to be impacted by more and more frequently. Right now, what we see for the primary impacts are, uh, are fairly minor in terms of the impacts on humans and infrastructure. It's also often referred to as nuisance flooding because it's, it's not the kind of flooding that's associated with big storms where it's a life-threatening event that's you know, damaging a lot of structures. It tends to be uh, water overlying low-lying areas and usually just for a little bit of time around high tide, but that causes you know, traffic diversions. Um, and, and things that are generally kind of a headache to people. As those sea levels get higher, though, and those high tide levels get higher, we can expect those events to be more impactful and to be more of a threat to built infrastructure, let's say. The battleship is at a fairly low-lying elevation, the property surrounding the battleship is, and so they're some of the first to feel these kinds of effects. And so what we see there is we know the level of uh, tide that has to be reached in order for flooding to occur across their parking lot areas and, and the park itself. And it just so happens that right around the corner from the battleship is a long-term tide gauge that NOAA maintains. It's been collecting data since the 1930s. So it's a beautiful record of change over time in that area. And so if you look back at how many times that threshold level that leads to flooding has been reached over time, in the 1960s, when the battleship first came to that site, there were, for that whole decade, about 14 events where there was high tide flooding at that site. So that's what, uh, two events every three years on average. Mm -hmm. If you look at that same threshold in uh, 2020 for the year, just that one year, there were 174 times that that threshold was reached. So it's a dramatic change. Uh, and, and, you know, they're really seeing these kind of frontline impacts of what happens with that slow creep in water level. The solution to maintaining access to the battleship North Carolina is to transform the grounds by embracing the relationship with water and installing a variety of natural features. We have recognized that we are on a roller coaster ride due to hurricanes and, and flooding, uh, much like uh, the rest of the East Coast. So we have uh, looked at available resources. We looked at New Orleans, how she dealt with Katrina. We've, uh, we've gone to uh, review the Netherlands, the Dutch model, uh, and to see how businesses, how societies can survive in a flood-prone environment. And this is all translated into what we call living with water. And uh, the Battleship North Carolina has retained a design and engineering firm translating our goals and plans as best uh, in an enlightened way, an environmentally sensitive way to uh, restore access and restore business operations.
So the Battleship North Carolina has been extremely proactive in their approach to becoming more resilient to climate change and sea level rise and nuisance flooding that they've been experiencing more increasingly over the last several years. And they have chosen to move forward with a uh, sort of multi-benefit, multi-investment of transforming their project site to support visitor access. And with that, the engineering design team, along uh, in coordination with the battleship staff, as well as our partnership with the NOAA uh, National Ocean uh, Center, um, have developed a design a nature-based infrastructure or engineering with nature, nature-based solutions. There's quite a few different terms or terminology uh, that have been uh, popularized over the last several years. Um, engineering with nature is cer certainly a concept that has been around for several decades, predominantly utilized by the Corps of Engineers. However, over time, I, I do believe that uh, people and communities have realized that being able to mimic the natural environment is a benefit to uh, providing that infrastructure uh, support and protection to coastal communities and to project sites. So really uh, being able to mimic the natural hydrology and system uh, with regards to tidal systems, vegetation, elevations, and using that to the advantage to help support and protect as well as sustain uh, particular sites. So the living with water is a concept that was developed uh, originally by uh, Wagner and Ball, a landscape architect firm out of New Orleans. Uh, we are currently working with them on the Battleship Living with Water project. And the concept uh, was developed to ensure a particular design allows for that mimicking of the natural system to protect and, and utilize what you have already on site um, to help uh, develop that coastal risk protection as well as support and conserve the natural environment. So the proposed Living with Water project um, has multi um, uh, elements to it. The elevation of the parking lot uh, that will come up to a consistent six foot elevation that will meet the FEMA 25 year um, elevation to help reduce the, the flood risk to the visitor center and, and the people who are trying to park. We will also construct a tidal wetland. So the area that we see right here in front of us looking south, uh, these two parking lot bays will be removed. We will construct a two acre tidal wetland that will mimic the sinuosity of a coastal tidal wetland and will then meet up with a stormwater wetland that will bisect the parking lot and allow that stormwater flow to be collected into the tidal wetland and move through the system and then empty here into the basin. We will also remove the hardened uh, structural materials that are currently stabilizing the shoreline. We will grade and, and, and increase the elevation of the berm to allow for enhanced intertidal shoreline and we will also plant the living shoreline which will be approximately 800 linear feet after it's completed with native vegetation.
the elevation and the grading of the tidal wetland, the constructed tidal wetland, will allow for uh, native coastal marsh species, including Spartina octoniflora and Juncus romerianus, which are the species that you would normally see in a low marsh, but also grade up to an elevation for high marsh species that you would normally see adjacent to the site and allow for those plants to migrate as sea level rise continues and we continue to see the tidal inundation and flooding. This approach is called living with water. It originated with the Dutch and was adopted by Wagner and Ball, an architectural and environment firm based in New Orleans, where many projects now accept, adapt, and benefit from the presence of water. Here is Rami Diaz, a senior project designer with the firm. It's the idea that you, um, you look for value from water, right? more than just we're going to fix a drainage problem or uh, solve one coastal issue. It's, it's a multi-faceted uh, approach, multi-generational, multidisciplinary, um, you know, multiple scales of thinking uh, approach to managing stormwater or just water in general. Um, thinking about water as one water. Um, uh, New Orleans was very much focused on just either, you know, the response to Katrina with the big storm surges uh, or our rain, rain management is just pumping the water out. People weren't thinking about water holistically. Um, in terms of groundwater and, and sea level rise and all of the factors of water management. So that's one aspect of it. Um, the other aspect is the, the value of proposition. So if you're making investments in infrastructure, it should do more than just solve the engineering problem. Right? So um, projects that we're doing in, in Hampton, Virginia or Norfolk um, or New Orleans, every project is uh, conceived of um, the vision for each project is that, that there's multiple benefits and it raises the value of the city um, or, the, or the place. That site, um, when you look at it in plan, it's, it's, a, it's basically a big parking lot and you've got the, the amenities around it that are related to the battleship, the trail, the battleship itself. Um, they've had this tremendous flooding challenges over time as, as with sea level rise and um, just the tides coming in and flooding their property. Um, you know, one approach would be to say, how do we solve it? We're going to cut off the water coming in and we're going to raise the parking lot. Well, instead we're looking at how do we take advantage, re-naturalize the condition. Um, you know, water's going back to where it wanted to be. Um, this was a Creek that had been filled in. Um, that, so they're, they're daylighting the creek, creating uh, constructed wetland, creating uh, more habitat, creating living shoreline. All of those combined together with this educational aspect um, you know, of the, the battleship and the folks coming to that site to see a you know, military relic. Mm -hmm. But there's also it, it has this in place in the in the landscape there in that incredible marsh um, uh, kind of river uh, condition there along along the Cape Fear River. So you're, you're combining all of these aspects to solve a problem, which started as, you know, our parking lot floods. Well, <laughs> let's take that as an opportunity to make a project that is uh, multifunctional and, and, and ecological repair, really. I've talked a lot about New Orleans uh, in the past and, you know, our projects there. Um, uh, and that, our experience in New Orleans is really translating well to other cities. Um, and so, you know, of course, the Dutch have been doing it for a very long time, but um, in the United States, there's lots of projects underway, um, most significantly, or maybe close by to you guys in Wil Wilmington uh, that you can drive to visit. Um, 
is the uh, the work in Hampton, Hampton Roads area, Tidewater. Um, they're really moving fast and doing great work uh, in the city of Hampton and in Norfolk. Um, other cities there are also doing work too, Virginia Beach and Chesapeake and Suffolk and um, doing projects that have, as I said earlier, multiple benefits, right? It's, it makes some sort of amenity out of a drainage project or a stormwater project. The Living with Water project at the Battleship North Carolina will bring many benefits. Improved access means visitors can see the incredible ship, learn about its history, and honor the North Carolinians who lost their lives during World War II. And now they will also be educated in water challenges and solutions. Battleship has always uh, been the prime artifact. However, we own 65 acres of waterfront property and waterfront access that is really being sub-optimized now. And we think it's part of our charter to have a good quality park, uh, to have environmentally sensitive uh, access through trails, walkways and such. And one of the fun things uh, working through the design of that project is we've really extended the experience of not only, you know, the, the, the approach to the battleship. So we've now made it so that as you park your car and you walk to the battleship, you've got this kind of procession through a, a landscape, but the water itself and how that, that wetland, the wetland comes into the parking lot. So there's a big central um, bioswale that you cross over uh, as you, as you access the, the battleship site. Um, and so there's a story behind that, you know, it's not just, you know, a, a management feature, right? It's, it's actually a, a beautiful kind of space that you'll be crossing through as you, as you enter the battleship property. We will develop signage, um, with local conservation groups and educators to ensure that we are able to bring that message of the resiliency of not just the battleship itself, but the willingness of the, the operation here to, and the state of North Carolina to maintain the site in the, in the long term to ensure that we are able to continue educating our, our, our residents, our tourists on the World War II Memorial, but also the, the effects of climate change and sea level rise. Thank you for listening to this episode. And thanks again to Springpoint Partners for grant funding and to Hydroloop for sponsorship. Remember, you can support the Waterloop nonprofit media outlet at patreon.com slash thewaterloop. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.